I want you to think for a moment to the advertising slogan that stands out the most to you. Maybe it's when Justin Timberlake sang the McDonald's, I'm loving it, or maybe it's Sleep Country Canada, you know, why buy a mattress anywhere else? And I know you probably finished that song uh, in your living room there, but chances are the slogans that stick out in your mind that have stayed with you, they often have had a tune or a song that's been connected to it. I mean, for those of you who are married, I mean, there's a reason we have a wedding song. It usually has a message of significance to the relationship that we're entering into. And I mean, for all of us, there are probably songs that stick out in our mind and the, the lyrics quickly flood our brain the second that we hear the music. And, and they may bring back memories, maybe from a childhood or a sporting event, or maybe they bring back tough memories of, of hard times that we've walked through. I mean, really, why is it that every person who turns 22 immediately wants to sing Taylor Swift's song, or that all of us, regardless of our age, know the words and the tune of Baby Shark off by heart? I mean, it's not lyrically deep, but for so many of us, we can remember that song, yet we have to make reminders in our phones to remember to take out the garbage on the right day. The reality is this, it's that music grabs us. It captures us in a way that words can't always do. I mean, this is why so many musicians will share stories, and they share stories behind the creation of the song that they've written, and, and they talk about the feelings that they felt, the things that they're processing, the pain, the celebration, and then these songs, they relate to us. We listen to them, and we take them and, and apply them to our own lives. And I know I've taken songs from an artist and, and listened to them and, and, and put them into the context of my own life and the situation that I found myself in. And if I'm being honest, there's been moments where I felt like the words in a song, they're the words that I've wanted to say, but I just didn't know how. And so this song begins to speak into my situation. And this is really why we're coming back to our 150 series and we're coming back to revisit the Psalms. Because the Psalms are an incredible book because they're the songs of Israel and Israel's own journey. But they're not just the songs of Israel. They're the songs of Jesus and his, his earliest followers. They would have known them and had them apply to their life. But they're also not just the songs of Jesus and his earliest followers, but they're the songs for all Jesus followers at any point in time that can relate to any situation that we find ourselves in. Really, the Psalms are songs that remind us that we're not alone, that this journey that we're all on as humans, that we have others who have experienced this with us. They remind us about a God who's in the midst of our lives, who meets us in all situations. You see, when we turn to the Psalms, there's really nothing that's exempt from them. Every situation of life is present within the book, from the lowest of lows, a feeling like they've been left behind and forgotten, to the highest of highs in these great moments of celebration. I mean, there's something for everyone. And I've found that the Psalms often say what we wish we could say. And if we'll let it and be honest to our life and where we find ourselves, the the Psalms may actually speak and help us solve the present reality that we're in. You see, the Psalms and the Psalmists, they're raw. The Hebrew people, uh, they just know how to process pain in a way better than we do within our Western culture. I mean, culturally for us, we try to numb 
pain, we try to avoid pain, and we do that whether that's through medication or through pleasure or just busyness. I mean, how many times have we heard the response when the question is asked, how are you doing? The statement back is just, oh, I'm just really busy right now. You see, truth be told is, is that we hate pain. We don't like it. But the Hebrews processed pain. They understood that it was a part of life and they found God in the midst of their pain. That's why some of the Psalms are, uh, that's what some of the Psalms are about and they're honest to the way that life really is and, and, and they span generations because the truth is, is the same feelings and thoughts that we can read about from the Psalmist, they still persist in our day-to-day -day life. A guy by the name of Walter Brugman in his book, Praying the Psalms, says this. He says, when we turn to the Psalms, it means we enter into the midst of that voice of humanity and decide to take our stand with that voice. We're prepared to speak among them and with them and for them to express our solidarity in this anguished, joyous human pilgrimage. He then carries on to say, that our life of faith consists in moving with God in terms of A, being securely oriented, B, being painfully disoriented, and C, being surprisingly reoriented. Brugman's belief is that when we look at the Psalms through this lens of disorientation and reorientation, that it gives us the ability to be honest about our life. And it then gives us a way for the Psalms to relate to our common human experience. Because to Brugman, every follower of Jesus follows the route of orientation, disorientation, and then reorientation. So it's out of this understanding that we want to approach the Psalms in this series, that we would have an honest conversation and be honest about our common life experience. We want it to be a, a series where we'll be willing to engage with the Psalms in a way that will speak to our disorientation and help us discover our reorientation deeper within the life of Jesus. So to unpack this further with you, I wanna spend the rest of our time working through Psalm 1 together and practically exploring this idea of orientation, disorientation, and then reorientation. Psalm 1, the commentators seem to suggest, could have been the last psalm that was really written within the book, but it ultimately is giving the framework for the rest of the book. And so let's read Psalm 1 together. It says this, it says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves nev never wither and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Now, David did some great teaching on this in last year's series, and I would encourage you to go back and look at it on our YouTube channel, as there's certain aspects I may brush over that David uh, taught on and spent some time unpacking last year. But I want us to look at this psalm throughout this thought process that I mentioned of orientation and disorientation and then reorientation. Now, when we look immediately into Psalm 1, the psalm really lays out two options for people. It lays out the way of the wicked, which is like chaff. Essentially, it's blown around. It's unable to stand. It's worthless. And at the end, we read about the judgment that comes in that way. Or the psalm says there's another way, and it's the way of the righteous, which is like a tree that's planted by the riverbank, and they'll prosper in all they do. 
And now just to, to pause for a moment on that word prosper, because that's something that can carry different connotations to different people. The word prosper really doesn't mean financial wealth in that text, but it means that it will thrive, that the person will thrive in a way that Jesus has designed as humans, as his followers, to participate in his work in the world around us. Now, before we get any further, let me ask you this, and just forget the text we just read for a moment. If I was to ask you, where are trees planted? How would you answer that question? Now, some of you may say that's a dumb question because of, of course, trees, they're planted in forest areas. They maybe get planted in our backyards to help you know, things look nice, but really, that's where we would probably answer. I'm, I'm thinking that not many, or if any, would suggest trees are planted by the riverbank. Yet this is what this psalm is suggesting to us. It's suggesting that there's this significance for a tree to be planted by the riverbank and that the greatest place for the tree to be planted is right in the riverbank. In fact, the word planted really means transplanted when we look at it, meaning that this tree has found itself in a new position to which it's been brought. It actually didn't start in the riverbank. It was uprooted and brought there. Now, let's begin to unpack this practically and look at other places in Scripture to help us get a clearer picture around this idea of a tree and the riverbank and its meaning for us. You see, the regular orientation of a tree, as I mentioned, is, is in the forest. It's where the majority of the trees are. This is the status quo. This is the normal. The tree is dependent on the rain to fall in order to be watered and to grow. And if no rain falls, then the tree lacks nutrients. And in fact, it even becomes more susceptible to things like wild, wildfire the longer that it remains dry. And within Alberta culture, we understand that. We see wildfires all the time. So we ask for rain. The trees need rain. But that's just how things normally go. Now, culturally, when we talk about the idea of orientation, we like this idea. This seems to be what we desire is the status quo, it is just everything to be normal. You see, this idea of orientation means that really everything's in balance, that nothing is ever out of sync. And this is something many of you may hear and, and at first hear say, I desire this, it's something we desire. But the truth is, is it's actually just really not that interesting. And, and the truth is it's often not even found, not even for the trees. I mean, if anything, none of us have lived in orientation in things being in sync for the past four months at least. But even before that, if we're being honest, I'm willing to, to believe that we often don't find ourselves here. You see, what it would really mean in our lives is that for us, everything is always well settled and life just makes sense to us. We don't have any questions about why things are happening, but it seems to rarely be the norm. Now, I'm not saying this as a discouragement, but the reality is, is that the psalmists don't live in orientation either. Rather, the psalms, they tend to find their roots from writers experiencing the disorientation and reorientation. And we see this emotion and life and these lives that are feeling crushed and they're filled with anxiousness and despair, but they're surprised to find life in God that ultimately leads them to a place of worship. And Here's the truth. The hardest part, the most difficult part for us engaging with the Psalms is that we function in a world that wants everything in balance. The language of our culture is safe. We pretend all the time. We always say we're good when someone asks because it would be taboo to answer any other way. 
I mean, the feelings of being disoriented are, are to be buried deep beneath the surface for no one to see. It's really not meant for the public arena of conversation and, and wrestle because we're afraid of what it might mean for us and others around us and, and maybe even how culture may respond or even our friends and family may respond. But to treat the Psalms like culture's business as usual approach, it's ultimately going to lead us to misunderstand them. It's gonna lead us to leave them lacking the significance that they can have in our lives if we're willing to be honest and not suppress the disorientation that comes. Because the language of the Psalms, it's not our normal cultural speech. It's gonna take work from each and every one of us to engage with them because it suggests that not everything is smooth sailing all the time, but rather that as humans, we experience disruptions and pain. It's disorientation, which is followed by reorientation, to which I now want us to begin to unpack together. Disorientation would then work this way. Think about the tree again. What happens when you dig up the tree to move it to a new location? There are no longer the status quo for that tree. They're not normal, they're not in sync, or just business as usual. When you dig up a tree, the roots become exposed. And actually, where it goes next has incredible significance for its life. Because depending on where it's planted, it's either going to thrive or it's going to shrivel. It all depends on its new location. And so the reorientation and when disorientation comes is incredibly important. I mean, have you ever felt like your life has been uprooted? Have you ever felt like your life has been exposed and what happens next is so crucial and important for your well-being? I mean, let's be honest for a moment. Disorientation is more common to our life than we may be willing to admit. It comes in all shapes and sizes. It may be the loss of a job. It may be a diagnosis from a doctor. It may be loneliness or a feeling of rejection. It may feel even like the world is falling apart in front of your eyes. The truth is, is that disorientation are the things that make us incredibly aware that life is not whole and in balance. It makes us aware that Hollywood's fairy tales have lied to us that it's not just ev happily ever after without any conflict. You see, the Psalms know life is like this with disorientation. And we can see it in complaint type of Psalms where they're claiming, God, where are you? Where they unapologetically wrestle with this disorientation that they're feeling and that they're experiencing. So it becomes our job as a reader to engage honestly with these because when we do, the Psalms can and will speak to our experience. And the truth is, is we may even find that the Psalms deal with our experience in ways we didn't imagine they could. Then reorientation. Reorientation is to be understood that things become new. They, they don't simply come back to the old way. And now, there's no greater example of this than our current cultural situation, which many of us may be tired of talking about, and many of us may be saying, we just want things to go back to normal, or we're tired of hearing the new normal, or whatever language is being thrown around it. But this is a perfect example of disorientation and our lives being reoriented to a new reality ahead of us. And so as much as it can happen within our physical reality in the world around us, it happens within our spiritual journey as well. 
And this is where we find in the Psalms that this tends to be a surprise experience. But the experience leads to celebration. It leads to a greater depth in their relationship with God as they come out the other side of disorientation into celebration and into worship. And oftentimes you'll see both the disorientation and the reorientation all happening within one Psalm. Here's what the Psalms are really wanting to do for us if we let them. They're looking to help transplant us to the riverbank, to be people who trust in the words of God. Because the word planted here again means transplanted. We talked about that, meaning it's been moved from its original spot to a new location. And so as we turn back to Psalm 1, we can understand this, that a godly person as we talk about the two paths that you can take within Psalm 1, it, it, it's not necessarily influenced by unrighteous people, although that happens. But the reality is, is a godly person is, is considered by their meditation on the word of God, by being transplanted out of the forest when disorientation comes, out of the status quo, and choosing to become planted by the riverbank. Now, I want us to stop on this idea of the riverbank and the river for a moment because the imagery of the river and of living water is incredibly powerful all throughout scripture. And I believe if we look at it together, it'll help give us some greater clarity to what the Psalms are wanting us to do when it comes to reorientation and really what it means for us to be planted by this riverbank, riverbank practically. Starting in Jeremiah 2, uh, Jeremiah is writing these words from God to the nation of Israel, who ultimately, if you read the story around it, they've struggled to follow God. They were constantly rebelling and they were ignoring God. And so God says this through Jeremiah to the people of Israel. He says, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold any water. Now, this is the first of many imagery moments, and we could spend time unpacking it, where, where God is describing himself through living water and like a river, but the imagery continues, and I want us to keep us moving forward into Ezekiel 47. And Ezekiel is another prophet who's now given this vision of water flowing from the temple. Now, historically, the temple was where God was. That's what they believed. You had to go into the temple to find God there. And so water is flowing from where God is. And it says that there are trees on either side of the river who produce fruit and whose leaves will be used for healing. And these trees are growing strictly because they're being watered from the river flowing from the temple. And then it goes on to say that it says, whatever the river flows, whatever the river touches, everything will live. You see, this river is a transforming force. It's something that's bringing life. It's reorienting everything it touches. And again, there's more that could be said about this text, but for now, I want us to move us on into the New Testament in John 7, in verses 37, where Jesus says this, he's gonna, as he's talking to the people, he says, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet be given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. 
I mean, here we are with this living water metaphor again. But this time John tells us exactly what Jesus is meaning, which is the work of this Holy Spirit coming into the lives of those who put their trust and say, I want to follow Jesus. And so the promise of Jesus is that the Spirit of God would flow within those who follow him like a river. That Jesus is the river of life. And we see this imagery come all the way back around, all the way at the end of Scripture in Revelation chapter 21, as we're reading about new creation. And in verses one, it just says this. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So we get this imagery of the new creation And then in verses five to six, it says, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. And then continuing on into into chapter 22, starting in verse one, it says, then the angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Again, we see the tree of life and a tree that heals. And where is it located? It's located right by the river. And so bringing this back to Psalm 1 and what it's telling us as far as reorientation goes is that when our lives become disoriented, because they will, it's a normal human experience for each and every one of us. We need to become people who reorient our lives around the river. We need to be people who reorient our lives around the way and the life of Jesus. Again, Psalm 1 says there's really only two ways for us to function. There's the way of the righteous or there's the way of the wicked. There are those who live near the river or those who try to go it on their own and figure it out on their own. But the promise that Jesus gives to us and what we discover in the Psalms is that to experience the abundant life that's available to us, we need to make sure we plant and we live in the river. The river of life is what we reorient around all the time. And when we do that, we're promised to prosper. And again, prosper in the sense of we live more of our calling to be an image of God to the world around us who have uh, fruit within season where there's moments where we're healing, where we're showing glimpses of the new kingdom that's going to come in fullness when the river flows through the middle of the city. But practically speaking, right now in this moment, what does it look like in the moments of disorientation to become a tree planted by the riverbank, to reorient around Jesus? I mean, step one, it's simply to become honest about our lives and just acknowledge that it's not always status quo. We need to become open to the rhythms of disorientation and reorientation that come in our lives as we face them. Because they will. We're going to face moments where we feel like our roots are exposed where we're uprooted. They're, they're common to human experience. And so instead of suppressing them, we need to begin to process them. Again, the Psalms are an incredible resource to use to remind us, like good songs do, that our experience is not unique to just us. 
but rather others have walked the road and God meets us within the journey that we're on. Another step may be to look at creating regular disciplines that help you understand more of God. And let me say this, and this might sound controversial at first statement, so just hear it, hear it carefully. The purpose of reading your Bible is not to know your Bible. Let me say that again. The purpose of reading your Bible is not to know your Bible. The purpose of reading your Bible is to know God. The purpose of the Psalms is to help us know and continually be reminded of who God is. They're to help us grow and become more firmly rooted in God's words for us that ultimately shape our lives. God has more for every person, regardless of age or stage. And so to live life in the river is to seek more of God for your own life at whatever stage you're at. You may be new to faith. Maybe this whole COVID situation has made you start to ask questions about faith. Jesus has more for you. Maybe you, you've been following Jesus for so many years and you go, is this all that there is? No, Jesus has more for you. But you have to decide if you're willing to seek it out. You have to seek it out. There's two options for life. There's the way of the wicked or the way of the righteous. Disorientation will come. We either reorient our lives or we, uh, around Jesus or we reorient our lives around ourselves and we try to figure it out on our own. And I love how Dallas Willard talks about this idea of how we're going to reorient our lives because the word grace gets thrown out a lot when it comes to uh, following Jesus. And Dallas Willard said this. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. So the truth is, is we don't have to do anything to earn God's presence when we go through disorientation to reorientation when we're walking that path. But we do have to seek him. We have to be willing to wrestle with our emotions with him. It's going to take effort. And so I want to wrap up by quoting Walter Brugman again that will help shape the rest of the series as we engage with the Psalms. And he says this, he says, The Psalms are an assurance to us that when we pray and worship, we're not expected to censor or deny the deepness of our own human pilgrimage. Rather, we're expected to submit it openly and trustingly so that it can be brought to eloquent and passionate speech addressed to the Holy One. So as we'll continue this series in the coming weeks, it's going to take work because the Psalms are going to force us to change our pace. They're going to ask us to move away from our deeply managed public lives and move us into a more open space where we acknowledge that life isn't always clean. In fact, more often it, it's messy and we find ourselves often uprooted, but it will be in the honest and raw wrestle of the mess where we will discover a God who helps us reorient our often disoriented lives.